0: I know you back,
1: You know you like that. Welcome back to Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, presented by Change Up. I'm Matt Satilli. I am joined, as always, by my co-host Owen Shadrick. We are here for the season two premiere. And Owen, it's so great to see you for the first time in a couple months. How you doing?
2: It's great to see you too, Matt. I'm fired up. So ready for season two. You know, that championship was so great in August, and I've been looking forward to some FCBL content, and here we are.
1: Well, we're going to deliver it to you. Everyone is tuning in at home. Thank you once again for joining us. It's so great to be back with you. Quick update for our season two release schedule. We are going to be releasing episodes every Monday. So during the season, it was every Monday and every Thursday, but now it will be Mondays. We'll still be delivering you one podcast episode per week. Pretty excited about it, Owen. It should be a great season. Should have a lot of great guests on hand.
2: 100%. We left a lot on the table after season one, and I can't wait to get it all on the table here with
1: season two. Absolutely. You said it best, my friend. So we had one great event that took place this fall. It was the inaugural Hall of Fame induction ceremony took place on October 9th at Cyprian Keys Golf Club in West Boylston, Mass. It was an awesome event. I know that unfortunately you couldn't be there because you were dealing with COVID and certain restrictions from school. I had the chance to attend and it was great to see 13 people get inducted into our first ever Hall of Fame class, including owners from the founding ball clubs, players, Adam Keenan, Bill Terlecki, and Chris Hall, amongst others, so Great event. Wanted to shout out everyone who made it possible, especially Katie Arend, assistant GM at Nashua, was part of the ownership group of the year, and she orchestrated all that. So I had a great time, and it was really cool to see a lot of the founding members that made the FCBL what it is today.
2: Yeah, again, congratulations to all of our inductees, and shout out to Joe Pellucci for bringing that together, the golf event and the Hall of Fame, first ever Hall of Fame class, and a new Hall of Fame for the Futures League. Well deserved.
1: Yeah, it'll be awesome to see what's in the cards for the future years and who will be joining those 13 inductees. And uh, one person who was there, who I actually got a chance to play in his golf group, who will be our first guest, is John Creedon, the owner of both the Worcester Bravehearts and the Nashua Silver Knights. He had a lot of great things to say, and his ball club, especially up in Nashua, has been really active on social media with announcing some signees for the 2021 season. So, Preparations have already been in place. Owen, oh, what can you tell us about what we've seen on social media and how we're already prepping for next summer?
2: Yeah, you just touched on it. Nashua has done a great job of starting to announce who they're signing for next season. You know, we're really excited to see how these rosters shape out after a fantastic summer in 2020. Uh, Worcester just announced the other day that they plan on playing back at Hanover Insurance Park after spending 2020 at Doyle Field. So that is great news for the city of Worcester. They're get, they'll get their team back. And then New Britain has been recapping the unbelievable season that they had, their first inaugural season, 2020. It it was such a great summer, and it's always good to look back on, you know, just how successful it was through everything that has happened in this world.
1: Absolutely. And if we played through 2020, we can play through everything. Our guest today, John Creeden, called it the improbable summer of baseball. And he had a lot of great things to say. He talked about the history of his purchase of the Bravehearts and also the Silver Knights and just what this season meant to him and what it tells us about the Futures League. So I thought it went great. And Owen, once again, just want to say it's great to see you. And for our guests at home, once again, welcome back. And without further ado, we wanted to take you into our interview with John Creedon. At this time, we are now joined by a very special guest. It is John Creedon Jr., the owner of both the Worcester Bravehearts and the Nashua Silver Knights as well as the Vice President of Creedon & Company. John, welcome to Back to the Futures, and thank you so much for joining us to kick off Season 2. How are you today?
0: I'm doing well, Matt, and, uh, and thanks for inviting me, Owen. Really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to be on the Matty & Owen Show here.
2: Hey, we're so happy to have you, John. And let's get right into it. Flashing back to last season, it was a pretty successful season for both of your clubs, the Silver Knights and the Bravehearts. And they faced each other in the championship. What was it like to experience both both of those seasons and the championship all live?
0: Yeah, it was uh, twenty twenty. the 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 season was very, very special, very arduous and, and grueling in other ways. Um, I mean, it, yeah, it, it was definitely special to have you know the the Silver Knights and the Bravehearts. Facing each other in a best of three championship series at the end of the season, um, the fact that you know one of the two teams would win the championship was was icing on the cake. The fact that that we in the league got through the whole season to the championship to to get across the finish line really meant everything. Um, you know, it, it was just you know as, as important as the baseball is every year. Um, this year, you know we, we kind of coined a mantra that, you know, every game was a victory regardless of the score in 2020. And, and that was the truth. I mean, you know, there was so much work kind of leading up to the season. Um, and, and, you know, you guys very well know that we had to sort of delay it in, in light of all the public health restrictions and everything. Um, so the, the first goal was to get to opening day. And once all the teams got through opening day, the next goal became get through the championship series and, and take it game by game day by day. And, uh, you know, it, it turned out to be a, a long hard season for everybody involved, but I, I couldn't be more proud of the, the, the people, um, you know, at the league level from, um, you know, Joe and, and his leadership, uh, Joe Pellucci, the commissioner, I felt like he really flourished in his role this year uh, in particular and, and just found so many silver linings um, that, that we as a league grew from and can be proud of um, to you guys on the the, the league wide staff. And then, you know, our, our staff in Nashua and our staff in, uh, in Worcester and and the players, um, you know, and, and the host families. I mean, there's just, there were so many people involved. There were so many moving parts. I felt like we were, really every day just kind of threading a needle and, and, you know, luck just happened to be on our side. I felt like what, what we did, you know, the the two teams, but also the league, you know, it was, it was bold, but it was responsible and it's, it's something that, that we all should be proud of. And, you know, sitting here today, you know, here we are end of the year, 2020, 2021, can't get here fast enough for the entire world. You know, the fact that we got through 2020 as a league in one piece and kept everybody healthy and safe and everything. You know, if we did that, we can do anything. And and that that really excites me, gives me a lot of of, of confidence in, in our ability to continue navigating whatever 2021 throws at us. I mean, you know, we 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 hit every curveball this year, you know, and uh, it was it was pretty cool. A lot of work. We're we're still resting up from it, but um, you know, it was
2: it was great. Yeah, you talk about unique, and one unique thing that we were able to have this season was fans in the stands in Nashua and in New Britain. How awesome was it to have fans in the stands for the championship in Nashua? It,
0: it was, it was, it was awesome. You know, on a couple levels. Um, number one, it, it, it was great. You know, for the community of Nashua to, and and, and even the folks from Worcester. Um, you know, we, we ended up, as you guys know, we moved all three games to to be held in nashua and it took all three games to to get through the championship series because things just became so uncertain and unreliable in massachusetts that we didn't want the championship series to 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 be interrupted uh, by you know uh, government regulations and restrictions down in massachusetts um so it was really special i know you know for Fans of both teams, and host families, and player families, to, to be able to be there, and, and everything was done responsibly. You know, with with great social distancing, and and Kim and Katie up here in Nashville and their staff did an outstanding job all summer long. Never lost focus on you know what was most important, um, which was the health and safety of of all uh, guests at, at home and stadium. Um, so that gave us the confidence to be able to move the whole series up here. You know, Joe was, was amenable to that and and saw it. And then, you know, from a business perspective too, it it was helpful to us um, to be able to sell tickets and sell concessions Um, because, you know, from a business perspective, as special as the baseball was this summer, it was a tough year for business, you know? Um, And, and we're not, you know, by any stretch unique in that way. I mean, there, there's just been so much economic pain in so many different sectors and so many levels Throughout society, uh, we, we certainly weren't immune to any of that. We were feeling that every day. But you know, as a league, Joe and and the owners and and all the the team leaders um, and executives decided, like, if there's ever a year when you focus on the mission, you know, this is the year. This when when the whole world is crumbling, and and other leagues are saying, all right, we're going to cancel the season, this, that, and the other thing. And you're, you're actually like, you know, having Zoom calls because you can't sit around at the table at that time. You know, what are we going to do? And you're faced with the decision, like pulling off a season is one thing. Is it the right thing to do is a whole other level of analysis. And and so, you know, we were faced with that. You know, we did it. Uh, we all went in eyes wide open knowing that it was going to not be uh very successful from a business perspective but at that time you know when the going gets tough focus on the mission why did the futures league start why are we here in the first place and it was uh you know we we looked at, at the student athletes whose spring seasons were all canceled um you know we looked at our communities that everybody at that point was hunkering down you know My kids and everybody's young kids were um, sitting at home because remote schooling, you know, just took hold. Um, And everybody's just, you know, dazed by nobody knew what to do on a day-to-day basis. So the fact that we were able to provide some safe level of entertainment and and, and something, you know, the national pastime really rose to the occasion, and, and the Futures League did too. And so... It was it was great to answer your question. It was great to have people be there in person to share it, not just watch it from a screen, but to like be there and hear it and smell it and taste it and 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 feel it, um, and and get their heart racing. You know, as exciting as it is to watch something on a screen, it's it's a whole other level of electricity and engagement to to really be there in person. And um, so I'm I'm looking forward to. Hopefully uh, more of that in
1: 2021. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And also if they weren't at the ballpark, they could watch it through a screen for the first time this year on Blue Frame, which was a great partnership that we had. So just uh, another testament to a lot of the great strides the league took in terms of, you know, making it happen during one of the most challenging years. So one of the points that you emphasized throughout the year was the owners working with each other to make the season happen whether it was reshuffling the schedule for the in games, really trying to come together to do what it takes to make sure the games got underway. What kind of a flexibility did that take? And what, what does that say about the relationship between you and then the other owners in the league?
0: I got to tell you, you know, it, 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 it's all a people game, whether it's, whether it's the team on the field or in the dugout or the ballpark staff, or, you know, um, the, the collection of owners, you know, it all comes down to how the, the level of respect we have for each other and how much we've got each other's backs. And, and some some other collections of folks might be sniping at each other and, 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 and you know, playing, playing small ball. And, um, you know, that was not us. And to me, you know, Matt, you, you mentioned the, the fact that we had the the great video stream um, platform this summer, which is great, and the nesting Games, which is great. Two, you know, high points as a league that, that that we can really be proud of from 2020. To me, the fact that we just, you know, came together as such a cohesive unit, everybody just calmed down, slowed down, um, got very patient with each other, got very flexible with each other. Uh, As you know, you know, Pittsfield elected to sit out for a number of of reasons. Um, You know, Pittsfield, the the city of Pittsfield, they were having just a a heck of a time, you know, when when we were trying to launch the season, and and it just wasn't feasible for them. But we all understood. You know, much as everybody wanted Pittsfield and the Gold Clan Group to to be able to participate this year, we understood um, that it just wasn't feasible. And so it it, it was what it was. Um, But, you know, for the rest of the teams, it's just a big testament to, to, to the level of respect we, we've got for each other. And, um, you know, in the end we had the willpower, we held our nerve and we got through and and accomplished something pretty special, I think. And, and so, you know, coming off that is also pretty wonderful, um, you know, to, to just see, you know, what, what the future holds for us as, as a league as well. You know, um, these are, Interesting days for, for baseball around the country. I'm bullish, very bullish on the summer collegiate baseball model. Always have been. That's why we got into uh, the Futures League. Um, and I, I firmly believe and, and would tell anybody who cares to listen that summer collegiate baseball's best days lie ahead. And I think we're seeing that, you know, from what Major League Baseball has done, just wholesale moving leagues into the summer collegiate model. They, they took the Appalachian league and they took the New York Penn league and they've basically effectively moved them to the summer collegiate model, which to me just, just lends so much credibility to what the futures league has been doing already for 10 years. You know, what I've been saying even before major league baseball made those moves, but for the last you know seven years that the Bravehearts have been around and the, you see, I think in general, the level of professionalism and production of athletic activities becoming more and more sophisticated at now lower and lower, younger and younger levels. I mean, when we were – when I was growing up, um, you know, it was, it was strictly just professional sports were, were sort of the focus. But now, you know, college football is a gigantic thing. March Madness is a frenzy. I mean, it's just – it's not So, College hockey now is, is, is getting bigger and bigger. College baseball, the World, College World Series is a thing now. Um, you know, even the Little League World Series is a gigantic deal. So, you know, I, I really feel like we're ahead of the curve. The Futures League is ahead of the curve with, you know, what's, what's to come with with all of that. So, um, but, you know, we're, we're positioned well. We, we've got a great collection of folks uh, driving the league. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for, for the days
2: ahead. We are also excited for the future for sure. But to go into the past a little bit, you just touched on your love for the summer college baseball model. So, how did you get into the futures league originally? It's a good question. On, I'm not
0: sure. <laughs> and uh, people, people have asked me, "How did you come to own a baseball team?" I have, I haven't the foggiest idea. You know, it's it's just crazy. There's no operator's manual as to how you do it. You know, everything is sort of tailor made um, to the opportunity. So, I mean, the story is, um, I'm from Worcester. I, that's, that's where our family business is, Creighton company. And we've been around since 1985 as a company and we, we are a catering company and a tent rental company. So we're, we're involved in, you know, more often than not, you know, serving food and, and providing rental equipment for events in and around the community. And we're very fortunate to have the relationships that we do with, with so many folks in, in central Massachusetts. One of the relationships we had was, um, with the Worcester Tornadoes, who is a Can, Can-Am League team playing out of Hanover Insurance Park in Fitton Field on Holy Cross's campus. In fact, they built the stadium back in 2005. Um, I remember when the Tornadoes launched, Creeden and Company, my dad, was approached to you know, put in a proposal to provide concessions for the team. So we, we looked at it, and we put in a proposal, and you know, we didn't think we had a very strong chance, but it was a good exercise anyhow. You know, they ended up going with um, I, one of the gigantic catering companies like Chartwells or something like that who, who did a wonderful job for the existence of of the Tornadoes. But, you know, sure enough, they, they came back and we provided a tent for them in the left field picnic area for pregame picnics and stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, I had attended some Tornadoes games and kind of always just kind of paid attention to what was going on with the, that team, you know, from, from a, a fan perspective and also as a vendor. And I remember um, going to one of the school days, one of the matinee games where, you know, they they, they get all the kids on a field trip and they pack the stadium. And um, I had come from a, it was a fundraising breakfast one morning. I ended up at the, the game with a friend because we were there on behalf of a charitable organization. And um, the the, the fit and field was just, packed it was chock full of kids everybody's yelling and screaming and there's a baseball game going on and music and hot dogs and cotton candy you know every sensory overload it was a beautiful sunshiny day and uh, I remember you know saying to my friend who I was with at the time um, you know wouldn't it be cool to own a baseball team you know it's just to bring that to me it was just like the opportunity to bring people together and really like put smiles on their faces. It's just, it's something special. It's, it's really, it's a, it's a privilege. And so, um, fast forward a a few years, you know, the tornado sadly, you know, couldn't make it work. Um, and, and they went out of business. So, you know, kind of on a whim I approached my dad who my dad started creating a company and my sister and I worked there they've both been there for longer than I have Uh, I I went off and did other things my sister who's younger than me she's she's been with the company for longer so I do whatever the two of them tell me to do Um, so I approached them with this idea and I said look why don't we take a run at you know the next iteration of baseball in Worcester and that was in 2012 is when the tornadoes went out of business and only a baseball team is one thing. But to make it successful, you've, you've got to, you know, I don't know. The, the, the successful franchises, to me, always have another play, another – some secret sauce or another, another angle to, to make it work, to really put some fuel in the engine. So for Creighton & Company, it was the food and beverages, the, the concessions. And, and so, you know, the three of us got together and said, look, if, if we can create a stream of 30 occasions – where we were creating company can sell hot dogs and, and beer and soda and whatever um, and do pregame picnics you know we were already very good at public concessions like that you know that that would have been a meaningful uh, stream of revenue and then you know the, the summer collegiate baseball model was one that that we as a company we could kind of wrap our arms around and and make that go and the better that we could operate the team, the more butts we could get in the seats for the games, the more hot dogs and beer we would be able to sell, and everything would sort of snowball in a, in a, in a positive, favorable way. And so they jumped on board with the idea. Um, and, and we tried to take a run at bringing a Futures League team uh, to, to Worcester. And I reached out to the – uh, you know anybody who would listen, really, um, which were not a whole lot of people at the time. But I, 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 we we became friendly with the general manager of the Tornadoes at the time, a guy by the name of George bassiakos great guy. And he said, "Listen, why don't you reach out to Chris Hall from the Futures League?" George and Chris were friendly, um, so I went on the Futures League website, called the number. Chris Hall immediately got back to me, and I'm like, "Wow, all right, this, that was quick." And I said, "Hey, I'm John." You know, here's what we want to do. And he, Chris Hall was, was terrific. And, and he helped us sort of navigate the process and, and figure out how to solve the riddle of, of, of bringing a baseball team. And, and it wasn't easy. I mean, in 2012, you know, I'm approaching the city manager of Worcester. I'm approaching Holy Cross. I'm approaching Hanover Insurance. Nobody really wanted to, to give us the time of day. The city of Worcester elected to not have baseball for the year 2013. And um, I, I kind of put the idea away. I, I was like, all right, you know, this isn't going to happen. I tried to make it happen for, for the 2013 season. And I moved on to some other things. I was like, it's not going to happen, which was fine. Um, and then, I don't know, I guess in the springtime or the summertime in 2013, the, the, the chatter started building back up about, you know, baseball in Worcester. And, and people had known that, I, you know, I was pushing for a Futures League team. And uh, Holy Cross really liked that idea because of the summer schedule and, and it's, it's summer collegiate athletes and it works very well with their academic calendar, right? So when their students end in, in May, our season starts. And when our season ends, their semester starts again. Um, So Holy Cross really liked the idea. And a guy by the name of Art Corindonis, he became our point of contact at Holy Cross. He's now retired, but he said, look, you know, if, if we're going to have baseball, we want to have summer collegiate baseball. And then I had to convince the city manager at the time, Mike O'Brien, that summer collegiate ball was not an inferior product to professional baseball, even you know, independent professional baseball, because there's, you know, there's this perception or that professional baseball is somehow superior to you know, amateur um, summer collegiate ball, which, which I don't buy at all. But, but folks, you know, just attach that perception to it. So I had to sort of overcome that, that skepticism and basically, you know, build the case that, look, a summer collegiate team can assume the mantle of the community's baseball team and provide all the things for the fans that a professional team could, you know, from the, the fireworks of the giveaways to the, the full stadiums to the concessions, all the excitement. Again, I was coming up against some skepticism I got the opportunity to bring the city manager of Worcester, Mike O'Brien, along with um, the former Lieutenant Governor, Tim Murray, who now runs the Worcester Chamber of Commerce. I brought them to the All-Star Game, the Futures League All-Star Game, in 2013 in Pittsfield. And the place was banged out. And it was electric. And, And they were loving it. And Chris Hall, you know, set up great seats behind home plate for us to sit in and the rest of the team owners to sort of introduce themselves and introduce the league and everything that, that the futures league has to offer community. And by the end of the night, these guys were like, this is awesome. We want this, let's go. And so that was it. That was the thing that, that clinched it for us. And then from there, you know, we were able to get our, our key presenting sponsor and naming rights partner, Hanover insurance on board. Um, At the time uh, the CEO of Hanover, Fred Eppinger. He's now retired from Hanover and and he's a CEO elsewhere. He went to Holy Cross. He actually played baseball. He's from Massachusetts. He basically, you know, supported the Tornadoes to build the stadium. Um, Ironically enough, his son, Andrew Eppinger is going to be on the the Bravehearts in 2021. So it's funny how it all kind of comes full circle. But so he got on board, you know, he, he, it took a while to, to be able to connect with him, but then things Things came together, and um, I offered the job of GM to George Basiakos, um, but I think he had just had enough with baseball at the time, and and that was completely understandable because it was kind of a tough ending with the tornadoes. Um, But he said, you you should call a guy by the name of Dave Dave Peterson, and I did. Best phone call I made. (laughs) And, um, you know, you you guys know Dave well, and and you know that he's just this force of nature. And uh, so Dave's been with the Bravehearts really since day one. And the Bravehearts aren't what what it, it's become without without Dave being such a key part of it all. So, um, you know, it, it started pretty modestly in 2014. And one of the things I'm most proud of is year over year, save for the pandemic year, but year over year, the Bravehearts have grown our attendance and our business, uh, which is to me is, is remarkable. You know, that in in many ways really bucks the trend because oftentimes you see just the opposite. You see a a sports franchise start opening night first year. And that's the biggest crowd. That's going to be the highest watermark they ever see. And, and from there it's a slow, steady decline. And it's ironic because you know, a, a sports team is least prepared for their biggest crowd the first night of their first year. So, you know, we, we, we sort of didn't follow that model. We we started modestly and just grew slowly by shor- but surely. And, and, and I'd rather, I'd rather be the tortoise than the hare in this marathon race. So to me, it's, you know, the, the growth and the business is, is much more sure. It's much more real. It's not a house of cards that's just going to collapse. It's, it's all, it's all genuine and authentic. And, and, and year over year, you just keep bringing more and more folks into the, 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 the family of the Bravehearts and now the family of the Silver Knights and and keep trying to
2: to build the magic. Yeah, and Grow, you certainly have. It's, it's a great brand down there in Worcester, and you are obviously trying to do the same thing in Nashua, as you just mentioned. You bought the team just before the 2019 season. What went into that decision to buy a second team, and what are some of the opportunities and challenges that you faced? Yes, so, you know,
0: we've, we've always admired the, the Nashville Silver Knights since the time that we entered the league. They were one of the founding franchises of the Futures League. It left big impressions with me when, when I was sort of being introduced to the Futures League. I, I remember the first meeting with some of the other owners. I went to the Lowell Spinner Stadium, Will Latcher, in Tim Bauman's office and sat with him and Dave Hoyt from the Seacoast Mavericks and Chris Hall and um, the Gallows, who owned and operated the uh, Old Orchard Beach, but, you know, just sort of being in the latcher and talking to the, the, these guys, you know, they, you know, the, the, the Spinners have such a tremendous history of baseball there. And the fact that they had started the National Silver Knights and, and sort of imported a lot of the best practices, you know, really made them a flagship franchise. And so for, for many, many years, we, we've always admired them. And Drew Weber, um, you know, he owned the, the Spinners and the Silver Knights. A few years back, he sold the the spinners, but kept the silver knights. And then um, a couple years ago, he he kind of called me one winter. It was uh, probably January, February, that he was looking to sort of get out and retire. And you know, he he lives in New York City. He winters in Arizona. He's a prince of a guy, really. And, and and I've always just had such respect and admiration for for Drew. And he really. You know, became a great friend and mentor to me and my dad along the way, um, and he said, "Look, are you interested?" And I said, "Yeah." And and so you know, we, we figured out a deal that that worked for him and worked for us, and and you know, we're, we're the way that we my my dad and my sister and I look at it is you know we're we're kind of stewards of any any baseball franchise. It's not ours. It's like you know we're here to do a good job to keep the bathrooms clean, keep the lights on, keep the beer cold and the hot dogs and burgers hot and, and, and delicious and put, you know, great teams out there on the field. And, and, and with the silver Knights, you know, we're also trying to honor the, the legacy that, that drew Weber and Tim Bauman and also John good had started and um you know, be, be the team that the community of Nashua, New Hampshire can, can keep rooting for and be proud of. And and it that's, that's what's happened. Um, and so, you know, we took over the silver Knights in the spring of 2019 which is really sort of on the eve of the season like it, it, the season started a month later so we you know we we stabilized the the silver Knights we got through that season and um, you know the off season leading into 2020 was was terrific we we've got cam Cook our general manager and Katie Aaron, the assistant GM they were doing just a a bang up job of developing business and sponsorships and ticket sales for the 2020 season when, you know, the pandemic took hold and, and the wheels all came off. So I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to continuing to grow uh, the the Silver Knights post-pandemic here. And and there's a lot of potential to, to fill. Uh, you know, Holman Stadium here is just – it's a gem for the community here. The mayor and the Department of Public Works just – they they love what we're doing. They're so supportive. It's just – incredibly refreshing to to have that level of support from the government here and be so open-minded to things that we're trying to accomplish and, and beyond the baseball, right, beyond the the, the Silver Night season. Other, you know, the, the, the Silver Nights, the Nashua 4th of July celebration is here at Holman Stadium, and there's a food truck festival and a beer festival, and it's, it's really sort of a hub of outdoor community events for Nashua. And, you know, again, we're, we're fortunate to be able to sort of bring the, the, the food and beverage element to, to all that stuff. So, yeah, we, why we did it, um, you know, Dave Peterson and I, we took a trip to Madison, Wisconsin back in 2015 to visit uh, what we consider and many people consider the gold standard of summer collegiate franchises, the Madison Mallards. Now, they've been doing it 20 years and they get. Seven thousand people a game they get they get more than triple A teams get, and so we flew out there. Uh, we had always sort of admired them from a distance, but i I, I got in touch with the owner and the, the leadership out there, and, and I said, Hey, you know we love what you guys are doing. we're new in this game. It was our second year, basically running a team at that point. Can we come out and visit you guys and just talk and see and learn and they were like absolutely and and they couldn't have been more gracious, you know, so we flew out there. We we watched two games, and it just it just totally shifted our whole outlook on what summer collegiate baseball could be, and you know how to go about it. And and it was it was great it was great timing because um, the the next year twenty sixteen the Worcester Bravehearts hosted the All Star game, which became just a just a still a, a really really special event. And but I mean. It, the mallards, I, I I've got photos, you, you it's 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 something you gotta see. You've gotta experience it and witness it. But I mean they are just whooping it up like from it's just sensory overload. Like you you come in, it's a it's a public park, you walk in and they've got this paved entryway and, and they've got this wrought iron gate right at the main entrance and it says welcome to your nine inning vacation and from there it's just like a county fair, there's people on stilts, there's like beer hawkers, there's Double-decker buses with people on top and cooking pizzas down below. It's just sensory overload—smells, and colors, and sounds, and sights, and feels, and everything. And um, it's just—it's just this gigantic party, and everybody's just having the time of their lives. It's outside. You kind of come in from from left field and over in right field. They have this area called the Duck Blind, and it's all you can eat, all you can drink, and and you know Wisconsin's nice. Beer drinking culture out there, so the, the laws are a little different, so you can do things like that. But I mean, it, it was just a big social event out there. There were hundreds and hundreds of people. Nobody's even paying attention to the game that's happening feet away in right field, and it's just you know it was the place to be. And 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 from like even before the game starts, they have the mascot zipline in from the uh, the the pole out the foul pole out in right field and. I mean, they've got the PA guy just whooping it up and just – I mean, it, it, it's fun. It's great baseball because the Northwoods League is terrific baseball and they get very, very talented players, and they take that very seriously. Um, but the entertainment is just out of this world. And so, you know, Dave and I just came away from that like so charged up. And, and we were like, you know, they, they don't look – at their stadium as like how many seats they've got in there. They're like, like you just, you, you look at the footprint of a stadium differently. That's. And, and so in 2016, when the Bravehearts hosted the all-star game, you know, we, we shut down the road that leads into um, fit and fields on Holy Cross, campus. And we did that street fair, that street festival. We had inflatables, food concessions and music. We had, we had a band playing up on the press box out Directed away from the field. And it was just this gigantic party on that street. And then, you know, we fit, I, I forget, you know, the, the, the stadium in Worcester holds, I think 3,000 people or something. And we had 5,000 people just because we didn't look at at, at the stadium like we're limited to the number of seats. Like there's all this open space around the stadium where people just want to be part of something fun and exciting and the party, you know, and, and and the all-star game is something special because, you know, there was the home run derby and and this, that, and the other thing, but it's, you know, to me, we just sort of imported some of the magic we learned from Madison and, you know, made it Braveheart's magic that, that year with that event, that the weather was agreeable. And I'm, I mean, and, and, and from there, we've just kept looking at things like we're not limited to, you know, like take the blinders off. Um, so, you know, our school days, we, we bring in temporary bleachers from the top of Holy Cross's campus to just accommodate hundreds and hundreds of more school kids. So we'll see how, how things go post-pandemic, but, um, you know, that, that's kind of the history. And so the Madison Mallards own Four teams in the Northwoods League, so it was like a model of of sort of getting it right in one place and then importing, replicating it around. Because now you've now you've got that owner's manual, you've got how to make it successful, the key elements, and then you import it to different communities and you make it work. Um, you know, based on community sensibilities and and and, and frugalities and whatever, and whatever's going to make this community tick is going to vary from that community, but. Um, it's also a great way to sort of develop staff and and, and give people sort of a a, a forward path for, for their profession, which is something that, that Dave Peterson does so well, you know, as far as developing our talent. So you know that that's what we're doing, and, and I'm still in touch with with the uh, the guys from the Madison Mallards. Um, I talked to them before the 2020 season to just see where things were at with them, and it's nice to have that that resource, you know, because we're not competing from a baseball perspective. We're not competing from a business perspective. We can share best practices and, and war stories and, and, and that stuff and kind of empathize with each other. Um, and the owner there, Steve Schmidt, he's, he's, he's awesome. He, I remember, you know, we, we witnessed two games and between that he, he's got a, a sneaker store, a shoe store. It's called the shoe box and it's in black earth, Wisconsin. And it's like, it's in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere, Wisconsin, and you just drive there, and out of nowhere, it's like an oasis in the desert. And it's like you could just see where the mallards came from, just looking at the shoe store. I mean, it's just it's just like this happy shoe store. You know, it's you're shoe shopping, but it's like it's 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 almost like going into Disney World, you know, to buy a pair of sneakers. And it's like the service is just impeccable, just super responsive, and prices are great. And you know, you, you you've got. Steve Schmidt, the owner of, like, four baseball teams, the owner of the shoebox, they are, like, measuring your foot and and getting you sneakers, and he's hustling around. And, I mean, just – they're just a, a wonderful model, great, great folks. Can't say enough good things about them. Nowadays, they they have branched out even bigger. They own a soccer team called Madison Forward, um, concert venue. So, I mean, these guys think big in the same way that, you know, we like to think big as well. You know, it's, it's always like – What's next? You know, let's 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 fulfill our p- potential right now. Let's make this as best as, as as it can possibly be, and you know, sometimes these these next opportunities, you don't know what it's going to be, but things materialize, and and you kind of then opportunities start coming at you too, and and you you know you just keep rolling the snowball.
2: Before we get back to our interview with John Creedon, once again, we wanted to give a big shout out and thanks to Change Up, one of the FCBL's cornerstone sponsors. ChangeUp is a cutting-edge, player-centric pitch and performance management application. By comprehensively and accurately tracking pitch activity and capturing critical in-game performance data, ChangeUp helps baseball coaches protect their pitchers from overuse and helps players reach their full potential safely. During the 2020 season, FCBL teams reap the benefits of the ChangeUp application, including the ability to keep college coaches informed on what and how their players are doing here in the FCBL. Coaches and parents at all levels, Little League, AAU, high school, and the collegiate level take notice. ChangeUp is a clear choice to ensure your pitchers aren't being thrown too much or too often and are getting proper rest. In addition, ChangeUp's analytics function helps coaches and players understand each pitcher's current performance thresholds and helps inform training protocols to get your players to the next level. The Futures League is bringing you tomorrow's baseball superstars today. ChangeUp is helping make sure those superstars travel safely and as far as possible on their personal baseball journeys. Are you ready to join the change up revolution? For more information visit ChangeUp's website www.changeup.io that's www.change-up.io change up every pitch counts. We now return to our interview with John Creedon. I, I
0: suppose I should qualify that that you know,
2: this need, you
0: know, the pandemic needs to get under control the public health restrictions need to loosen um but to the extent that holy cross's campus is open and and we've you know we're, we're on the the good side of this pandemic um the brave will be back at holy cross in 2021 and thereafter we've got a multi-year lease in place with them uh, i'm in frequent communication with the good folks at holy cross and they continue to assure me that you know they are excited to get us back there and so we're, we're we couldn't be happier to get back there so yeah i mean 2020 was was sort of uh, an anomaly in the fact that we couldn't play there, it was a a journey. (laughs) Um, I I don't know, you know, if Dave got into this stuff with you guys, but in March and April when COVID was taking hold and people were starting to respond and shut things down and all that stuff, we kind of anticipated that, you know, we we wouldn't be able to play at Holy Cross. Um, And they, they told us as much. And so we said, you know, that sucks. We'll figure it out thank you, we get it, we totally understand. Just like the Futures League was focusing on our mission, Holy Cross needed to focus on their mission, which is taking care of their students and faculty and, 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 and doing that. So Dave and I started serving every single baseball field in Worcester, around Worcester, um, looking for a, another place to play. And, and at all times, you know, the, this goes back to the, the point that we started on about, you know, the cohesiveness of the, the Futures League and the owners and all that stuff. So, you know, we're on these Zoom calls with all the owners and I'm like, yeah, let's play, let's play. You know, the Brave Arts have no place to play, but we'll figure it out. Like, just trust me on this. And and they did. And, and you know, I, I, you know, I would share ideas about potential fields and they, you know, give me feedback and, and what could work, what what might be a drawback here and there. So in any event, you know, Holy Cross told us we couldn't play. So we, we started looking for alternatives. And then Holy Cross actually came back to us and said, hold that thought, there's actually some folks here on campus who want to use the Bravehearts as the first step in reopening the campus. It makes sense because it's an outdoor venue, you're at the base corner of campus, you know, there's, there's really no indoor facilities other than the bathrooms, I mean, you, you've got a parking garage and an open-air stadium. So it, it made a lot of sense. And so we started having those conversations. We put together, like every owner in the league, a very comprehensive COVID readiness plan. And we shared that with Holy Cross. And, and we vetted that through the, the medical director for the city of Worcester. And, and you know everybody appreciated it and improved it and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, it, it was drawing closer and closer to the season and the conversation just like we just weren't getting the green light that we were hoping to, despite the, everybody's best intention. And that was just, you know, the nature of the pandemic in 2020. You know, you, you can have great intentions and have the best laid plans, but, you know, the train's still going to fall off the tracks. And so, sure enough, we ultimately weren't able to play Holy Cross um, we left no stone unturned that the administration and leadership at Holy Cross were very supportive too. And, and, you know, if there was a way to make it work, we were going to make it work and they were going to work with us to make it work. Um, so David and I, you know, we, we were kind of left scrambling. Um, we, we had a good list of other places. You know, we, we tried to find another field in the city of Worcester, but you know, we were competing with other youth leagues and stuff like that. And we could made all the scheduling work, but, you know, for whatever reason, it, it didn't <clears throat> work out. So, yeah, we, we looked at uh, Doyle Field up in Leominster. So Doyle Field actually hosted a Futures League team, the Wachusett Dirt Dogs, for I, I forget how many years. Doyle Field is familiar in that way to, to the Futures League. So we approached uh, some, some key folks in Leominster, um, most notably, you know, Mayor Dean Mazzarella, and said, hey, we're kind of up the creek we want to play. We need a place to play. What do you think? And he's like, I love it. Let's do it. And so we, we launched the plan. We, you know, got all the approvals we needed to. Um, He understood that the the food and beverage concessions was a key element to what we were trying to do. And so, um, you know, we were able to secure approvals to be able to sell food and drinks um, as part of the games and we made it work. And, and, you know, there was, everything was just so touch and go all summer long. And on the one hand, the governor of Massachusetts said, um, you know, no fans for athletic events, no spectators were allowed. And on the other hand, uh, you know, he said public parks are open. So, you know, we were able to sort of take advantage of the fact that Doyle field is located in the middle of a public park. It's just a, a baseball field surrounded by a chain link fence. And so, um, you know, we couldn't sell tickets. We had no, you know, fans, but we couldn't stop people from entering the public park to enjoy the park. And lo and behold, you know, a baseball game had broken out. And, you know, people might have um, pulled up some, some chain link fence space and watched the Bravehearts play whoever was visiting at the time. And um, it, it worked out well in that, in that way. And, and looking back, it's like Doyle Field was built for pandemic baseball because had we been at Holy Cross – with the restrictions that were in place, we would have had zero fans, nobody allowed. But, you know, the fact that we were at Doyle Field in the middle of the public park, people were able to be there. We were able to provide them with, with refreshments and, um, you know, do something special up in, up in the community of Lemonster. And, and it worked out well for them, well for us. Um, you know, we, we operated a, a youth baseball camp week up there. And I know the, the families and some of the charitable groups that we worked with to, to provide some campership spots, you know, they loved it. And, and it, it, it probably, you know, worked out better than I was expecting going into 2020 still not, um, you know, resounding success from a business perspective, but you know, we, we got through and um, you know, the team adapted um, because, you know, we, we just messaged to them, like, look, you guys are playing your roommates, your teammates, your friends are not like just take this for what it is and, and just go with it and play every game like it could be your last because who knows what happens tomorrow. And, you know, they were able to do it and and, and embrace it. And, you know, we, we had some batters who uh, found the right field fence to be favorable and, you know, so whatever. I mean, it, it was it was good. And, um, you know, now we've got a group of friends up in Leominster.
1: Yep. So, and, you know, credit to you using that savviness to – make sure that you guys could provide a home and also get fans and provide that hospitality element. Let's transition into that. You know, you got the logo right on your vest, the Creedon and company, your dad, John senior started it in 1985 based in Worcester and you oversee it with him today as the vice president, along with your sister, as you mentioned, what is the biggest thing you've learned from them and how have they affected your career path?
0: I love it. That's a great question. You know, my dad is is far and away the hardest working person I've I've ever come across in any context. And so, definitely work ethic um, to me. You know, he's the American dream. He started creating company with nothing. He started with five hundred bucks. Creating company was it started as a greasy spoon breakfast and lunch diner on the street level of a three decker in a in a modest sec- section of Worcester, and I remember going in on, I was five when he started the company, you know, for, for many years up to that point, he worked at Shrewsbury pizzeria in the center of Shrewsbury. And I remember as a little kid, you know, three, four years old, he would bring home pizza dough and my sister and I would play with that and stuff. So, you know, he, he worked at the pizzeria forever. He he wanted to take it over and, and buy it from the owner. And I, for whatever reason that that didn't happen, there were verbal assurances and, you know, my dad said, "Let's just, you know, hire a lawyer to put it in writing, so I can rely on it." You know, I've got a young family; I need the certainty. And and it, it never happened. So my dad said, "Look, I'm out of here." To, to his boss at, at the pizzeria. And um, you know, to this day, they're they're still good friends. They they hang out down in Florida together and stuff. But um, so my dad my dad left, and uh, I was five. My sister was three and he started creating a company very modestly like you know the, the greasy spoon diner i remember going in on saturday mornings to the diner with him and his dad my grandfather at like 5:30 and i was hanging out obviously you know probably more on the way than than anything but just all, just watching that work ethic uh was was something and you know even even when it's tough like you just you can't back down you just got to bear down and uh so yeah that's it, and you know he, he's got a, a, just a magnetic personality, like you know so customer service too I mean people just are drawn to him and, and his, his positivity, his smile, his energy, um, you know he's he's in his 60s now and he's still loading trucks, and like the, you know everybody wants to everybody on our staff wants to be on the, the event that he's on, and he's just
2: He's just he's awesome, so yeah, John senior certainly a staple around the futures league, um but regarding Creeden company, one question has to be asked: are you guys the best in the tent game and in the chicken tender game
0: <laughs> yeah, is that even a question owen I, right. I mean I'm not even appreciate the opportunity to confirm the obvious, but yeah <laughs> I mean you show me better chicken tenders I can't <laughs> yeah and and tents you know we're Again, you know, so, so creating company, you know, sort of morphed from that diner. And then, you know, my dad started um, He he sort of built up a a followership uh, of customers through that and then started catering on nights and weekends, which were outside the, the diner hours. And then catering customers started asking for tents and tables and chairs and he couldn't find a reliable vendor to work with. So he said, screw it. I'll just buy some myself. And so this, crazy guy would show up and set up the tent and then go back and cook the food and bring the food. <laughs> I mean, just incredible, incredible work ethic and and just um, so yeah. And now, I mean, creating a company, has got a, a really solid um, tent unit of our business, as well as the catering and food service. We're now in vending. And then, you know, we're, we're fortunate to be able to operate a couple of baseball teams too. the fuel and the engines, the, the food and Bev. So, yeah, we're we're just very fortunate. Yeah, but you know, like the, like like people say, you know, you, you make your own luck, and the harder you work, the, the luckier you are. So,
1: absolutely. Let's talk that food in bed for a quick second. What is your favorite dish to either cook or eat? If we're talking like a best dish, you know, you know, you got to bring your A game for one dish, or just favorite to eat, whether it's from the food truck or personally being around that industry for so long.
0: Yeah. Here's a dirty little secret. I can't even boil water. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, I, I should probably eat healthier than I I know I should eat healthier than I do. And, you know, um, being around the ballpark food for like basically two seasons in one, you know, between the the two teams is, is not great for the physique, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I try to mix it around to the, the burgers and dogs and the sausages and, and the chicken tenders and, you know, right now we've got a, a super talented staff in the kitchen at Creighton Company and we're doing these, you know, because of the pandemic we're doing these heat and serve meals where companies that we, we do catering for are basically buy, you know, they're buying a, a, a tin of, of food, five servings for their employees to take home at the end of the day to heat and feed their families. And it's a great way to, for a company to take care of their employees and stuff like that. So right now the, the our staff in the kitchen, they, they've come up with some, Excellent, excellent dishes. Um, my my latest favorite's been uh, the hibachi steak and um, fried rice and and sautéed vegetables. So, I've I've had to to sample that to make sure that it's 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 up to snuff for our customers. So
2: oh, absolutely, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Props to you for that once again. Uh, I had that buffalo mac and cheese that you guys were serving up in Nashville today. Awesome, awesome Thank stuff. You. Nice. Um. So. We talk about challenges that the league faced this year, and, you know, a lot of stuff's going on with minor league baseball, whether it's teams having to reduce their minor league affiliates to four. We saw the great memo that the Bravehearts put out about, for the eighth straight year coming up, we're going to be having family fun and a great atmosphere in Central Mass. But next year, as we know, the Worcester Red Sox, the AAA affiliate of Boston, will be moving into town. What will that mean for your organization and how will you make sure the Bravehearts are still at the center of attention, both in the Worcester market and in the hearts and understanding of fans that this is a team that's offered tons for the community over the last handful of years?
0: Yeah, that, that it's a great question. And, um, you know, we, we've cost the community of Worcester nothing um, in the seven years that we've been around. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've got in many ways, you know, this 800 pound gorilla coming into our backyard and, but you know, you, you've got to adapt and be nimble and, I think competition's a good thing at the end of the day. We I, I know that Creeden and Company and the Bravehearts understand profoundly what makes the Worcester market tick. And we are so well in tune with the frugalities and sensibilities of our customers and, and guests at the ballpark and all that. And you know, we've we've had seven years to, to build up a, a following of folks that no one loved the brave hearts and So, yeah, I mean, there's um, probably the the most expensive minor league stadium in the entire country, uh, less than two minutes down the street from us. So it's going to be shiny and new and very appealing in that way. Um, But And and so, you know, they're going to have AAA-level baseball, but they're not going to have that Madison Mallards-type experience where the entertainment is just like – just steals the show, right? It's going to be rigid baseball, which you know we all know baseball's um, not ex- enjoying its strongest time these days. It's some folks say baseball's on the decline as far as youth participants, as far as um, you know fans following it. As far as the, the the time involved to dedicate to watching a game, um, you know some some critics say baseball is a boring game. Bravehearts baseball is not boring, and so you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna keep focusing on the entertainment. We're gonna keep things like just packed with value, so that when folks walk out of our ballpark at the end of a Bravehearts game, they're not they're not feeling offended by how much. They spent that day to, to bring their kids there, and they're leaving with a smile on their face, wanting more Bravehearts baseball. And so, you know, that's what that's what we've done from day one. That's what's gotten us to this point. Um, you know, it's it's why the Triple A affiliate of the Boston Red Sox is coming into Worcester. We've candidly we've shown that Worcester can carry a very robust sports franchise, and so we're we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And you know, I, I understand that. You know, some some people kind of doubt us or think we're a little crazy, but I've been called worse, and I know I'm crazy. So, um, you know, but we're just going to keep doing it. I think what we've got to offer the families and organizations of Worcester is something very special and something um, very sensible and comfortable. And you know, we've we've got some advantages, things like you know, free parking. That's not going to exist in that ballpark. I mean, it's parking is going to be a hassle, um, to, to be able to go there. And, you know, to, to me, reasonable minds could differ on a point like this, but to me, Worcester is, is, is still, it's a working city. It's a blue collar city. It's, to me, it's not a luxury suite city. It's not going to fill the luxury suites of the TV the garden or Fenway park. And, um, you know, that's just not what, what Worcester is. Maybe it's what Worcester wants to be or, or wishes to be. Um, but, you know, right now, you know, we've, we've got a sweet spot. And, Matt, you, you mentioned that announcement that the Bravehearts put out yesterday, kind of tongue-in-cheek. It was a little little humorous, you know, recognizing that the whole minor league landscape is in upheaval and, and, and big announcements came out as far as, you know, who, who's affiliated and who's not. We've never been affiliated. We've never needed that. We've never wanted that. You know, it, we're able to be independent. We're able to be whimsical. We're able to send kids through the outfield in the middle of the sixth inning and do silly things that would never fly in a major league baseball context. And to me, you know, people don't care so much about the baseball. The baseball is important, but people are not there. Most folks, when they get back in the car, can't even tell you the score of the game that they just watched. They're there for the experience. They're there to entertain their kids, entertain their elderly parents, you know, be there with their company or their group. They're socializing. They're not paying attention to every ball and strike. And, you know, that being said, like the baseball in the Futures League is supreme and it's supremely talented. But, you know, it's it's equal parts fun, affordable entertainment, and really great baseball. So we've got a, we've got a formula that that's worked for the last seven years. Even if, um, you know, that other team happens to to attract some of our fans away from us again, you know, the, the strength of the summer collegiate business model, we, we can make this work and we can make this work for the long haul. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm never one to back down from anything. So we're, we're just going to keep going. And, uh, I, I love a good challenge. I, I do my best work,
2: you know, when the going gets tough. So bring it on. And, hey, the Woo Sox aren't going to have Dave Peterson in the ninth inning dancing in a red plaid jacket. So, well, Yeah, exactly. That says it all. And one last question before we get into our quick hit section. A message to the fans as we head into the offseason, and as you just mentioned, you know, as, Worc- as the Worcester baseball market expands, what is your message to both? Worcester fans and Nashua fans and I guess futures league fans overall as we head further into the off season.
0: Yeah. So, you know, this is a, this is a unique off season. Typically we'd be, you know, working on group sales and and going, you know, full court press with sponsors right now, you know, in light of the pandemic that's still raging and there's still so much pain out there and economic calamity and, and small businesses like us are, are feeling it and hurting, you know, we're, 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 we're taking it slowly. We're, we're speaking softly. Um, you know, the, the league is probably going to have a schedule out later than usual just because we're looking at opportunities that, that might exist out in the marketplace right now and, and seeing um, where, where things land as far as, as teams for the Futures League. And, but, you know, nobody really wants to have the conversation about bringing their company or their employees or their customers out to a baseball game next June right now. It's, it's just, it's a little, it's a little tone deaf. So those aren't the conversations that we're trying to have right now. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, as, as we get through the winter and and the the buds, uh, start coming back out on the trees and and springtime arrives and the vaccine gets distributed far and wide, that people will start emerging from this hibernation of, of the winter and this funk that, that so many people are in and, and suffering through. So, stick with us. Um, You know, Futures League baseball has a great, great season ahead of us in 2021 and and many, many years to come thereafter. So stick with us. We're going to be there for our fans, and, and we appreciate the fans being there for us so well.
1: Hey, if we can play through a global pandemic with no positive tests, we can play through everything.
0: You got it, Matty.
1: All right, so, John, this has been awesome so far. Thank you so much for your time. We have one final segment for you. It's called Quick Hits. It's presented by Zephyr, the official on-field hat of the Futures League. Zephyr, high quality and innovative design since 1993. So we've got a couple more questions for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. Is that cool? Bring it. All right, let's do it. Favorite player from your tenure with either ball club, Worcester or Nashua?
0: Yeah. um, I guess – I, in fairness, I should probably do one for each team. But So, yeah, I, I've got a longer track record with with the Bravehearts, obviously. And, and I, I, I tend not to get too familiar with, with the players. Candidly, I can't even tell you the, the infield fly rule. I, I'm not a baseball guy. So I, we've got great coaches that that handle all that stuff. But um, with the Bravehearts, young man by the name of Logan Fulmer, he was a pitcher from the University of Maine, kid was nails he was just nails and he was with us our first our first summer and our second summer and you know my head was kind of spinning leading into the 2014 season because I didn't know what to do I you know I I don't know how to run a baseball team or whatever and and I get this email from a kid by the name of Logan Fulmer saying hey I want to work I I looked your your company up creating company I see that you guys are in, in food service I want to work for you guys. I'm playing for the Bravehearts this summer. I'm like, okay, great. You know, and I'm thinking it's probably going to be a bigger headache than it's worth. Um, So I I, eventually I got back to him and the kid just turned out to be nails. He would, he would get back from a game, you know, way down in Connecticut or way up in New Hampshire on the vineyard at like two or three in the morning. And he would be at the, at & Company, seven o'clock the next morning, out there on the grill or in the dish corner, just just totally totally reliable. Great great kid, heck of a pitcher. We 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 got him um, elected to the. You know, he was the fan vote for the All Star game in twenty fifteen, and I think we just blew it out of the water with the the number of votes. But just such a humble kid and, and just hard hard worker. And uh, you know everybody on the catering staff at Creedney Company loved working with Logan. And you know I, you don't know you know what what a, how 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 a baseball player might mesh with the staff and stuff like that. But he was just he was awesome. He's awesome. So and, and we got to know his folks a little bit. Um, they're from Pennsylvania, and um, and now I think he's working in Kansas uh, for a casino out there. So it's it's funny because every uh, every time the Bravehearts. End up in the championship series. Sure enough, it's like late, late at night. You know the the semifinal game when we clinch it. I get on the phone to Fulmer and I say, "Fulmer, we need you to come out and like you know throw out the first pitch for the championship game." And he's like, "John, you're killing me." <laughs> you know, he's in Kansas, and he, I you know I'm asking him to come out tomorrow. One of these days he'll come. One of these days he'll definitely come. So uh, yeah, Fulmer's uh, he's got a special place in in our hearts uh, from the Bravehearts. And then with the Silver Knights, you know, the, the last couple seasons, I, I've got a lot of respect and admiration for Jack Aarons. Um, he, he was just, he, he was like the heart and soul of the team as far as I'm concerned. You know, he, you know, even if he's not playing every game, he's just out there, he's throwing BP, he's throwing the, the home run derby for for Dom Keegan. Um, you know, How can he not love a guy that, I don't know if it was a game in Westfield, he played every single position, every inning. I think he even had a home run that game. And, you know, just great sense of humor, but just like, a, and, and, and a fierce competitor. The team responded to him and, and he was just, he was a leader quietly, vocally, um, but just a great, 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 great leader. Really hard worker. So a lot of respect for him too.
1: Yeah, that game in Westfield I was at, he went three for four with a go-ahead home run, a double, and then came in to pitch in the ninth and got the save up by one run. So it's just yeah. it, was,
0: it was awesome. I was so, like That, that, that game, that, that made my day, being able to, to follow that. That was so cool.
1: That's awesome. Favorite ballpark you've ever attended?
0: A good friend of mine from high school built the new Yankee Stadium. <clears throat> so kind of a special connection to that. He was, he was the superintendent on the project he uh my i, I married a, a girl from new york and her dad is a uh, like from new york city she she grew up in upstate new york so they're staunch yankees fans so um my buddy lined up some behind the scenes tours for for the two of them as the stadium was being built so you know that, that that's pretty cool you know i i went with with them to to watch jeter's final game too so um you know i know you know the yankees aren't so popular in massachusetts but I still got to respect the fact that my buddy built that stadium.
1: It's, it's iconic. So that's incredible. Great story. How about a baseball stadium or a sporting event on your bucket list that you haven't been to yet? World cup. Really? Okay. That's a great I We want to go to the world cup.
0: Yeah. I, in, in college, um, I was lucky to be able to study abroad and I went to some European soccer <laughs> games and I mean, just, the electricity in those stadiums where you've got a whole stadium just rising and falling and chanting in unison. It's just like, it's, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, to me, like the world cup is just like now it's like for country and like, it's just, it's just amped up even, even further. And um, I, I, I love international athletic competitions. I, I, I've been fascinated for so long. With the Olympics, and my wife and I were, were lucky. We we went to the uh, Beijing Olympics in 08. and um, I mean, to me, you know, the Olympics is the intersection of like global affairs and politics and and economics and athletics, and it's just it's just and, and culture too. It's just like it's it's incredible. So I I just I love you know athletics on on a, on a global scale. So
1: that's awesome. Really neat to hear. How about if you were stepping into the dish for an at bat right now, what would John Creeden Jr.'s walk up music be?
0: Matthew Wilder, Ain't Nothing Gonna Break My Stride.
1: I love it. Very poetic. Yep. Very poetic. All right, now uh, favorite big league team and big league player could be current or historical. Big league team. Um, (sighs) Or are you just a fan of the game?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I'd say I'm I'm a fan of the game. I I I grew up a, a Red Sox fan. My fervor for the Red Sox has has since subsided, um, but yeah, I mean I I I just like the game. I, I got to tell you, by the end of the the summer season, like I'm not watching professional baseball. Uh, you know, I I tend these days to to tune into other professional sports. Um, so anyhow, uh, so you asked favorite team and fa- what? What was it? what was the
1: question? Favorite player, or if you want to take it in a different direction, how about like a favorite sport to watch when you're getting home from a game, or something that's really captivated you in the last couple of years?
0: Yeah, I mean i i I love watching um, I love watching football, hockey. I'm not much of a hockey player myself. In law school, I tried to pick up uh, like beer league hockey just to keep my mind. Um, grounded and, and from just trying to play that, like I just gained so much respect for the speed of that game and the skill. And yeah, you know, and then I started following it you know at the professional level and the collegiate level. and like the, you know these hockey players are just incredible human beings. They're so articulate and smart and like they've got their acts together because they're competing at such a high level and, and it's just and, and I mean hockey's tough tough sport to, to play in general, but to be like good at it is just blows my mind. So I, I've got a lot of respect for hockey, probably newer. Uh, I'm, I'm a newer student to, to that. But you know, I, I love football. I, I've got three little boys at home, nine, seven, and three. And the seven year old James, his godfather is a good friend of mine from, <clears throat> from college. And he lives down in New Orleans. He grew up in New Orleans. So he's a big Saints fan. So every Christmas he sends up Saints gear to, to my son, James. So now James is a Saints fan. It's, it's, it's awesome. Um, back in 2019, I, when James was five, I, we were able to get some tickets to a Saints game. And so me and James went to a, a Saints football game in the, in the Superdome with my friend and it was just his godfather. And that was that was awesome. So, I mean, now it's it's cool because, you know, like now with young kids, to be able to share the love of sports and those experiences with my kids is, is something new for me and, and pretty special. Cause I, you know, I remember growing up being able to share those things with, you know, my grandfathers and my dad. And so it's, it's pretty cool. It's,
2: it's all good. It's sports is a very, very special phenomenon, I think. Yeah. Sports bring people together and that's been, that's been a thing since the dawn of time. So yeah, that's awesome. So kind of continuing with the questions, how about a baseball nickname or a nickname in general that you've been given over the years? Probably nothing original, JC or Junior. Yeah. Hey, nothing, wrong with, nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. And are you superstitious at all, whether it's, you know, when you're at the championship game and things are getting dicey or, you know, you're in the – you're working with creating company and you got to land a business deal. Are you superstitious at all?
0: You know – maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. I'm kind of a believer in karma, right? So I, I, I just try to put out good karma. I, I'm a firm believer that the world is circular and sort of what you put out there comes back to you in some form or fashion at some point in time. So I mean, is that superstition? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I've got some quirky routines. I'm kind of a quirky guy anyhow. But yeah, I I, I wouldn't say I'm overly superstitious. I don't, I don't have like I don't know. Maybe I do that. I just don't realize like routines. I probably do, but yeah, nothing
2: that that I'm aware of. Yeah. And then, how about a favorite championship run? Of course, there's been multiple across the Worcester Worcester regime, and now the um, the most recent Nashua championship. Which one was your favorite? The next one. <laughs> um, no, I mean e- each one's been each
0: one's been awesome. You know, obviously, 2020 was. Was something special having the Silver Knights and the Bravehearts facing each other, and and you know Alex Dion and, and Kyle Jackson have tremendous respect for each other, and and they're just consummate professionals, and they just managed great teams all summer long under the, the hardest possible conditions, and and so so that was that was awesome, that was really special, and to me, you know, it it, it was weird, you know, having. You know, one team win and one team lose. Um, you know, and on the one hand, you know, congratulating fans and pe- players, and on the other hand, consoling fans and, and players. And so, so that was that was unique. But uh, you know, I think early on, you know, the 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 Bravehearts won it in fourteen and fifteen back to back years, and that first one in fourteen. You know, we we ended up beating the Martha's Vineyard Sharks. And we didn't beat them all season long, like they just had our number. we went over against them all season long, and I don't know the, the, the team just had it together for the championship, and they just they played and and it's, it''s it's pretty awesome to to watch the teams get to the championship and how the players what they're playing for and it's pretty special you know that sort of that culture that you're able to to build where the, the guys, you know, feel like they should be playing in the championship. And, and they want to use that opportunity to pay it back to the fans and the community and their teammates and the organization and, and all that stuff. So it's, it's pretty special in that way. Um, so 14 was, was cool because that was our first year. 15, I remember it was just – it wasn't a very – we didn't have a great season, regular season, but there was, it was a semifinal game on the vineyard again. The Vineyard's always been a great baseball team, um, and there was like it was like a 14 or 15 inning game, and like every possible zany play that could happen happened. Like we had one batter, Zach Tower. He he swung at an intentional walk pitch and put it in play. And that was cool. There was an interference play called at, at home plate um, with the bases loaded. We we were on defense, the, the Sharks were running the bases and batting. And um, they had a guy come in and slide and, and the the um, you know, he would have been safe, but the umpire called him out for interference with the catcher. Um, but they, they would have won the game with that <clears throat> single run. So it was just like it, it was like we were all just on edge and, and just so amped up. And it's it, you know, it's, it's kind of fun because by the end of the season I I, I sometimes shift to, to fan mode when, when we're on the road with the team and I'm not having to work the, the concessions or the ballpark operations and stuff like that. So it's, it's fun to to get on the road with the team at that
2: point. But that, that, that was a, that game was epic. So. Yeah. Your GM actually said the same answer for that one. It was, so, yeah. yeah always in sync. And, and, and we got back, I don't know.
0: I think we got back to Worcester like four in the morning and because we won that game, we had to host the game the very next day. And so like we're, you know, that that we didn't know we really had to. Hold, it was just it was just a blur. But like that that's the adrenaline, that's the exhilaration, at the end of the season. Like you just you just leave it all on the field. You know operationally and that the, the the team does, and it's just it's just fun. Like you, you, you want to you want to end with a roar, not a whimper, and uh, it's it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been part of the last two championships and seeing the emotion from both your Bravehearts and your Silver Knights, it was incredible to just be on the field and witness that live, definitely. Cool. And the age-old question, Joe Pellucci's favorite, uh, bubblegum or sunflower seeds? I love me some sunflower seeds, but I'm a I'm a bubblegum kind of guy. I
0: just find some comfort in it, you know?
2: Absolutely. So, yeah, snapping the bubbles. And, yeah. Shout out to Gum once again. Um, and then, how about you guys? Do you guys keep a tally of that? Who's winning? Seeds or Gum?
1: You know, we are trying to get our analytics department up to speed here, so we're gonna to try to crunch the stats on quick hits during the off season here. But we'll get back to you on that one. All <laughs> right. Promise. All right.
2: then how about favorite ballpark food or ballpark beer? Um,
0: really haven't met too many beers that I've not enjoyed. I gotta be, I gotta be careful, Owen, because we got sponsors. You know what I mean? I, I can't, uh, I can't slight the
2: sponsors. Gotta be, I uh, gotta be a little political. Um, yeah. So the answer there is Creed and Company and whatever is in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and and ballpark food, I'm, you know.
0: So so my, my thing, uh, I'll, I'll take the, the chicken tenders and, and put them into a little sandwich. That's a, that's an off the menu choice.
2: So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And I, I gotta keep myself entertained. We'll call it the, the JC junior special. How about that? (laughs) There you go. And then last question for you, how about a favorite all time baseball memory? Yeah. So back in, back in college, um, I
0: I, I was on the crew team and one of my teammates, his dad worked for the Atlanta Braves. He was a clubhouse manager. And so my, my friend, it was, it was October 99, and, and he comes to me after practice one day and he's like, hey, you know, the, the Braves are in the World Series against the Yankees. Do you want to go to New York City and watch games three and four? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's go. And so we were in D.C. We took the train up to New York City. You know, we stayed in the Grand Hyde, you know, with the team and, and his dad. It, it was it was incredible. It was like out-of-this-world experience. And and so New York won games one and two down in Atlanta. So um, it was games three and four in New York. So, you know, we're, we're at the hotel, and, and there's a bus for the players and a bus for the player families. We were on the second bus with the player families. And you get a motorcade from the hotel to Yankee Stadium. And then you're sitting – right behind home plate, like choice seats with all the player families and stuff. And um, so game three, the Yankees pretty easily beat the Braves. And at the end of the game, security kept us all in our seats because, you know, it's the Braves families or whatever. And like the, the, the New York fans were, were all riled. <laughs> so they, they kept us in our seats. We, then they usher you back onto the bus, motorcade back to the hotel, and I remember, uh, you know, back in the hotel lobby, like it it, it made an impact on me um, because you know the the players were sort of talking about off season plans and like I'm I'm like, you know, here you are, you're down zero and three and like you're playing for everything tomorrow, but like you know they're talking about hunting trips and, and and like it was just I don't know, you know, to me that's the kind of stuff that perhaps exists in professional sports where you get a paycheck, but in college sports, like you're playing for something special. You're playing for the guys next to you. You're playing for the pride of your school, the pride of your team. You're playing for yourself. And like the next thing that's coming, coming your way. So that was, that was interesting. And then, and then game four, you know, same thing, motorcade to that stadium. And um, we got there early that day. We went into the the clubhouses and, and I was, you know, I shook Joe Torrey's hand in the clubhouse, and Darryl Strawberry—he was on the exit at that time—he's pine-tarring his bat, and then um, we went into the Braves clubhouse. And, I mean, it, it just—it blew my mind. They had like every type of food and drink, and even beer, like in the clubhouse, like. And these guys just—it's just like this smorgasbord buffet of whatever you could possibly want. And um, and we had we had Braves jackets over in the Braves dugout, and then we went on the field and. I ended up doing a uh, a knock knock joke with with the guy from the Letterman show, Biff. I don't, I don't know if he's still alive, Biff, and it played on the Letterman show, which was kind of cool. Um, but to me, I mean, that, that was just like a it was just like an experience of a lifetime. But it also sort of made this impact on me of you know you think you get to know athletes by watching them on TV, but you have no idea what they sound like, how they talk, what you know, they care about. And, um, it, that, that was, that was interesting. That, 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 was sort of for me, like a peek behind the curtain and like left, left quite an impact. So that's, that, awesome. that's, that's probably my favorite experience. Yeah. And, and, and great friends who, who brought me, there. so that was awesome.
1: And maybe if the Yankees ever get their stuff together and make it back to the world series, you might be invited back. Who knows? <laughs> Certainly remains to be seen. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us today and kicking off Season 2. Best of luck with everything. We're so excited to see you on the Diamond soon.
0: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing it, too.
1: Yeah, this has been Episode 1 of Season 2 of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. We have new episodes coming out every Monday. Make sure to subscribe. We're on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon.